Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I am Vlad, and my guest today is Sasquatch Muscle, or whatever that means, and he's an American Bitcoiner who started in 2017. At the very top, it was when he bought his first amounts of crypto. I'm not sure if it was specifically Bitcoin, but I really think that the lesson that he can teach us is valuable and should be passed on to future noobs and plebs who are to get into the Bitcoin space, this upcoming bull market. So, hello. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really happy that I get to talk to you. And part of the platform of this podcast is to invite people who usually don't get a voice and don't get invited to other podcasts. So the fact that we get to talk and share the kind of experiences that most of the times are just towed in the third person by crypto influencers is valuable. And I'm happy that we get to do this. I appreciate it as well. It definitely is something where you see the stories and I can relate to many of them, but you're right. They come from influencers uh, from their perspective. Uh, so I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, talk a little little bit about my experience. Also, you have a background in research. Did I get that right? Uh, yep. I work in uh, public health and, and health promotion and, and manage some uh, population health programs. Okay. Before we get into that part where you started with Bitcoin, how does this work that you work for a government institution and you support the kind of currency that is agnostic to nation states and basically tries to take away the money issuing power from the government. So do you find any kind of ideological incompatibility between the kind of work that you do and the fact that you support Bitcoin? You know, I, I think I'm like many others who do see um, just from the you know, American political landscape. There are issues that you see at work, um, but, you know, your livelihood depends on it. So um, depending on if you, you know, have uh, Bitcoin has, has obviously been something that I have found um, to be kind of a, uh, you know, a guiding force for um, what I've always thought we should be doing in health promotion. So um, I think, as the more I learn about Bitcoin and looking at things in a high time preference approach, I think about how Bitcoin could potentially help in educating, changing behavior and on what I do currently in, in health promotion. So um, when we look at the cost of healthcare, um, you know, we all see the year-over-year year trends getting uh, bigger and bigger, medical benefits costing more, premiums more, uh, prescriptions are costing more, um, even gym memberships are costing more. So um, I've, I've actually started to look at Bitcoin as a potential to provide some of those same services that we typically use our fiat or USD on that have become overpriced uh, as an opportunity to provide the same type of solution, whether that's uh, a service or a program, uh, but at a relatively much lower cost today due to our ability to 
um, utilize Bitcoin and the high time preference uh, aspect of it. So, you know, today you may spend um, $21 on a um, two month healthy eating program where a lot of people, they don't even see the value of the health behavior of eating better. They don't see any value in the $21 spent because they want to lose weight next week. They don't want two months of a program or one year of a program to change their behavior and maintain that change. Uh, but potentially with Bitcoin, it gives us the ability to you know, provide a program for maybe 10,000 sets or $1 that from the business perspective, you hold that 10,000 sets and that value increases allowing you to provide that program that you otherwise would overcharge in USD, but you can provide it in at a much lower cost, uh, as well as educating individuals on the benefits of uh, Bitcoin, the high time preference, living healthier, uh, managing your health and, and doing those things that you, you need to do to live healthier and live longer so that you can actually see the realized gains of uh, that Bitcoin or your health. Okay. I never really thought about it from this perspective, but then again, I didn't have much to do in my life with medicine and this side of public health care. Even though my mother has worked in a hospital for years, I was just a child and I didn't know much. Yeah, definitely is a lot of, of individuals as you get older, as you become more involved, the, the nice thing is that um, the, I guess the nice thing and the unfortunate thing is uh, you can access information, get quality or bad quality uh, information online. So you can access it and get it, but it's a matter of how do you get programs that are evidence based that are um, looking at the health behaviors that can maximize uh, your health and also looking at um, things outside of that, things that we can't control, the uh, other dimensions of, of health, like um, not only the physical side, but the emotional side that we're starting to learn a lot more about the environmental side, not so much uh, carcinogens, but how are our communities put together? Are there areas with um, a lot of fast food? Are there sidewalks in your neighborhood that have curb cuts that lead into other neighborhoods? Um, the financial aspect of it, which is uh, an area which is of uh, an emerging um, health-related area that companies are starting to focus more on is how do you manage your finances and how do you uh, educate your employees to do that? So Bitcoin is an area that could easily become uh, an alternative financial opportunity or education piece for individuals uh, and for companies and for um, government entities to educate on if they ever thought that that was um, something that they wanted to do. Um, but it looks like most likely they, they'd rather uh, focus on their uh, on their dirty fiat versus uh, Bitcoin. And then the last thing is going to be, you know, the social aspect of health. Uh, and a lot of those same things and same dimensions are in Bitcoin. And I kind of take that population health approach 
to Bitcoin, which is uh, interesting to me uh, to look at something that I'm not an economist, uh, I'm not a developer, uh, but uh, I'm somebody who does my own research uh, and understands um, some of the behavioral aspects only because of my area of expertise. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm happy that I realized that there are so many fields of work which Bitcoin can definitely improve. And also, it just proves to us that it's not just developers and economists and journalists that this space needs. And we need people from all types of working sectors just to be able to understand the full potential of this disruptive financial technology. I couldn't agree uh, any more with that. It also proves that point which somebody said to me during the podcast, but I don't remember exactly whom, that if you come from a background, you're going to look into Bitcoin and try to apply it specifically into your field of work and then spend some time researching and figuring out how you can do something. And probably the first impulse that you have is that you can put stuff on the blockchain and you can create a separate protocol which serves a particular purpose. But it, it takes some time to realize that it's actually a bad idea and that there are computer scientists who can do it without wasteful blockchains and implement better databases. Did you think of putting medical records on the blockchain or did you think that it's a good idea back in 2017? You know, I first, when I was first introduced to cryptocurrencies, um, I, there was a lot of talk about that, you know, putting avocado on the blockchain, putting, um, you know, bottled waters on the blockchain. Um, my area is not so much in the medical record. That is an area that actually first, when I thought about it, um, applied. But I am more in the service and solution uh, and, and the development of programs. So um, it took me a little bit to start to see uh, Bitcoin uh, and cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin specifically as an avenue to provide solutions at uh, a relatively much lower cost today, but with the potential of that value um, being uh, being there over the course of somebody's uh, progress through a program. Of course, this is one of the advantages of sound money. It's not inflated. It doesn't lose value over time. And in relation to inflationary currencies, it actually becomes more valuable as time passes. Absolutely. And I looked at that in the same way as learning um, how to eat healthy or learning a physical activity routine or being involved in athletics uh, or an exercise uh, group that um, in the long run, the immediate results um, of learning those skills um, are not almost are not always realized in the moment. Over time, after a month of being involved, a year of being involved, three years of being involved, that one week worth of education uh, can be decades worth of value to you. Uh, and that's one of the ways that I actually related um, health in general and health promotion 
uh, and public health directly to what I was learning about uh, Bitcoin um, from some of the um, some, from some of the innovators and, and some of those individuals um, who are putting out a lot of that great content for us. Right. You know what I was thinking of right now? Basically, you deal with public education in relation to health. And I see this big trend in Bitcoin of people becoming carnivores and only, only eating meat. And from your perspective, as somebody who works for a governmental agency, which basically issues advice on how to live a healthy life, do you think that's healthy or is it a little too much to only eat meat? You know, I am not a dietitian, okay? But, and, I, and I'll put that with a caveat. But I, what I will say is that everybody is different. We are all very complex organisms and we all respond completely different uh, to the foods that we eat, the types of activity that we're engaged in. We all handle stress differently. We all uh, have different sleep patterns. We all live in different communities with different uh, uh, social support groups. So I believe for some individuals, uh, that is the perfect approach. I am uh, an advocate for individuals eating meat. I'm an advocate for individuals understanding where their food comes from, uh, looking at wholesome foods um, that people can easily access and are affordable. Uh, and I believe that that's going to be different for everybody. So when we look at things like the uh, Bitcoin Twitter, crypto Twitter, um, you know, people don't realize that it really is an echo chamber, just like if I'm on um, NFL Twitter and there is a certain echo that occurs in some of those. Maybe, you know, Tom Brady is a cheating liar and, and uh, most people kind of echo that around and some people may not uh, believe that that's true. Uh, but, uh, but the same thing kind of occurs in, in, in Bitcoin Twitter. And, and just like, um, you know, what people call themselves toxic plebs and, and some of those individuals, I think, are just a little bit more assertive and more willing to discuss their experience with uh, eating meat and being um, full carnivore maximalists. Um, do I think that that's appropriate? I, I think for some people it absolutely is. Um, and for some other people, they may have a, a intolerance or a sensitivity to meat. Uh, and those are still things that we're all still trying to find out. Uh, there's still not uh, nutrition. Uh, science is uh, one of the ones that's lacking the most evidence. I will say, um, as we learn more about some of the things that were going on in the 70s and 80s in terms of stigmatizing fat and uh, reducing some of that um, responsibility uh, off of sugar, uh, which has kind of changed the American diet. I think all of those things uh, do play a role, but we got to be uh, honest in, in, in thinking about, um, you know, that our style, the, what we do and what works for us is not what works for everybody. Uh, right. I, I guess that's the best kind of advice anyone can give. Just do whatever feels right and whatever makes you feel healthy and full of energy after you eat. Right. And, you know, there are some things that we absolutely know. 
you know, uh, hydrogenated oils, the impact of sugar and uh, sweet beverages. Um, those things are absolutely, we know the data is out, right? Uh, since the 70s uh, and since the dietary guidelines of, of the U.S. dietary guidelines, since they've been putting those out about every 10 years, um, there was a huge push in the late 80s, early 90s to um, stigmatize fat. Um, and since that point, since we've done that, uh, we have seen a dramatic increase in obesity, uh, in the uh, consumption of fatty foods and um, highly processed foods. And we've seen a direct result of that is we have a population that um, from 10 years ago, we've seen obesity rates uh, significantly climb from around 30% to getting closer to 40% of adults are obese uh, or, or, or highly overweight um, using you know, a metric of BMI that uh, I won't get into that today in terms of its complete validity, but we know that we're trending to a much unhealthier population. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with uh, some of the information that is being provided to you from um, governmental agencies and anybody who, just like a shit corn charlatan, is trying to sell you something so that you can give them something that is of value to, uh, to them. And sometimes that's money, sometimes that's time, sometimes it's attention. Um, but we see that in almost every industry that, uh, that we're in, but nutrition and and. Uh, public health is is you know not not a special case. Okay, so now that we discussed this and I had the perfect opportunity to approach this topic, let's move on to getting into Bitcoin. And I guess the first cryptocurrency that you bought in 2017 was not Bitcoin. It was not. It was. 0.15 Litecoin at $285 uh, a coin. I had reached that's, out. That's not really bad, right? You could still make a profit. It went to 300 something. Yeah, I actually caught it. I think it, it went from uh, 340, uh, you know, dropped down to 260. I bought it at 285. My friend, uh, who told me to buy Litecoin. He said it's faster. It's the uh, silver, digital silver to Bitcoin's digital gold. It's cheaper. Um, he said, oh, man, I think you got a good price on that. And the interesting thing was is then he also pointed me to additional shit coins. He says, you can go on to this uh, website called Binance and you can start to um, – trade your Litecoin for other coins that uh, I've read have um, a lot of potential. The two first ones that he um, told me about were XRP and Tron. So looking back now, uh, you know, you if you hear those two, you know, okay, uh, you know, this person's a shit coiner uh, or they're just so uneducated on the space that those are recommendations to what I consider uh, to be a pretty good friend. Right, but you could have made worse decisions in this regard. I remember on Binance, there was a lot of speculation on 
the equivalent of penny stocks, which never went anywhere, as opposed to Litecoin, Tron, and what was the other one? Uh, XRP. XRP. They're still around. They're still in the top 10, I guess. So you could have made worse choices. Oh, uh, I did. I thought I was a trader is the next choice that I made. I, um, a, a trader with no understanding of TA or how it worked. Um, I didn't know um, anything other than he told me a couple people to follow. And I had a super low time preference. I was looking for that uh, hundred time uh, coin. So I was hopping in and out of coins, not understanding that, uh, you know, my USD value was maybe staying the same, but I was losing uh, in Bitcoin ratio uh, every single week. As I saw, even with the, the bad trades, I started to trade more to try to get more. I was putting more USD into buying uh, Litecoin. I was still buying Litecoin as, as kind of the, uh, the coin that was, uh, I was trying to accumulate more of. Um, and it, it is something that uh, I'm sure many people, as they've seen the price of Bitcoin going up, they're getting into probably the same exact scenario that I got into was thinking that you were a trader with low time preference. I actually was holding um, about 20,000 Tron at one point, right before it shot up to, I think it was like 2000 sats uh, in the ratio. And I didn't have, I, I sold it right before that. So then after that, I basically just bought every top all the way down till when Bitcoin was right around 6,000. So in the middle of uh, 2018 was when I took my money out and I said, okay, I, I'm, it's not working. You know, I'm putting more money in, I'm losing my money. My, I'm not gaining in any Bitcoin value as I was starting to understand reading uh, and seeing individuals on Twitter saying, you have to look at it from the Bitcoin ratio. You can't be looking at it at USD. You have to look at it at Bitcoin ratio. And as I continued to go down, I, I sold it all. I, I, I got out at, I, I probably lost, uh, you know, I think maybe 500 or so dollars, which uh, to me at that time um, is a lot. And, and it still is a lot today. Uh, but at least it didn't just a couple of weeks later, uh, you know, it, it plummets down to, uh, to mid three, three thousands. And by that point, I was starting to educate myself a little bit more into Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. Um, I, I was uh, started to, to remove some of those uh, TA and shitcoin charlatans from my Twitter. And I really didn't do much of anything for about six months. And come around December, when I see the price, um, you know, about 33, 3,400, um, I started to think, okay, I think I'm going to put a little bit more money. And if I do it, I'm going to put it only in Bitcoin. Um, and I slowly started to put money back into Bitcoin, but I find, I found myself not learning anything. I would see Bitcoin spike up, uh, you know, to 3,700 and I would sell it. And then uh, it would, you know, go up even more and I would buy more at, at 3,900. And when it was hovering around 4,000, I was buying it. It would go down to 38 with a dip and I would sell it at a loss. And 
I kept finding myself wanting to get back in the USD. And I don't know what it was other than just um, Brady from uh, Citizen Bitcoin puts it really well. It's a default Keynesian. You know, I was just constantly in this wanting to look at it in USD value and not Bitcoin. Um, so I started to do just a, a little bit more research, looking at it, looking at, um, and the unfortunate thing is I was, I was learning a lot of it from Tone Vase at the time. And not that there's uh, anything wrong with that, other than the fact that they kept putting this damn hyperwave in my mind. And it just sounded like it was so legit that I kept expecting it to go lower. So even though I was getting these great prices and putting this money in with every dip and every uh, little candle, I was selling it off with the thought that I could make 20 bucks here. And when it dropped down to a thousand that I would have more Bitcoin. And it wasn't until it, it was actually when I, uh, I started following uh, Pierre Rochard and he had his uh, lightning um, node launcher and I downloaded it. I got it on my computer and I started to just think in Bitcoin and started to immerse myself in uh, following the appropriate, um, you know, following the appropriate individuals, reading the uh, as much as I could about the white paper. I read the white paper several times. Um, I, I, I was just starting to get myself into the point where I was approaching it more like I do the work that I, that I do in public health, the research that I've done uh, in my past, instead of somebody who was trying to get rich quick. It was always I was trying to find that scheme, even though I did not understand. Um, I didn't understand cryptocurrency. I didn't understand Bitcoin. I didn't understand the differences um, at that time. But I, I really began to focus on Bitcoin only. And from once I did that, a lot of things changed. I started to connect the dots on how Bitcoin, how the higher time preference approach is so much applicable to things that I know uh, and started to trust that the, um, that the research that I was looking at, that the articles I was reading, the podcasts I was listening to, uh, that there was a reason that they made sense because they were starting to make sense less of getting rich tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, and I had happened to have bought at, you know, almost the tippy top of, of uh, the end of the last bull market that I got to see it unwind and was a lot more confident that the individuals who were making appropriate calls or writing appropriate articles, that it came full circle right back to them. And they didn't change their approach. They didn't change their view. Uh, and that kind of entrusted me uh, along with downloading the node launcher to uh, not only just dip my feet, but become somebody who is truly Bitcoin only, sees the value of it, sees the value of it in other fields, uh, but also understands that um, new adopters and getting uh, individuals on board for any behavior, or any solution uh, takes time. Um, and there's not going to be, um, this isn't going to be the last time where you'll hear a story, uh, similar, similar to 
mine. Um, and you probably even over the course of the last couple, um, you know, the last two weeks where it was up to almost 14,000, I'm sure some people were euphoric, had heard it from their friends, bought it 14,000, uh, sold that 10,000, expecting maybe that it's going to drop to 6,000 or somewhere lower. But um, it, you have to put yourself in, in the right uh, position and you have to do your own research absolutely every single time. Yeah, you told a lot of information there and it made me think that you know the predictions of tone base which most of the times are based on pretty good analysis but at the same time he has his own opinions which don't happen to be right most of the times and he has this strategy of doubling down on whatever he says until it happens that he's right but he causes a lot of harm and even though some people learn to trade from him which in itself is an accomplishment to be able to interpret graphs and not predict, but manage risk and understand what you're getting into and what the chances are for you to actually make gains or lose money. Well, I'm happy that you found Pierre Rochard who has been into the space for a long time. He is one of the co-founders of the Nakamoto Institute and he I spoke to him a few months ago and he has a background in accounting, but he ended up becoming a software developer and he's a brilliant guy. And I'm happy that he receives this kind of praise because he deserves it. And he has developed something truly unique with the node launcher. I, I completely agree. When I was, uh, you know, I have uh, my, uh, my non-anon, um, Twitter account and um, when I started kind of with Sasquatch Muscle and, and I've been a lurker for a really long time on, on my other account and and you know I only had I think I reached out to him one of my first tweets I think even was hey um, you know I downloaded the node launcher it, it worked really well and he followed me back and I think he, you know I only had like seven followers at the time and it was it was actually one of the most exciting things that I've had uh, occur just in that realm of getting into this euphoric, okay, Bitcoin uh, and Bitcoin Twitter, um, there's something there, right? And um, he was he was definitely somebody who, who helped me out. And, you know, Tone Bays, he actually, you know, although with the, you know, with the trading and all of that, I, I, for some reason I thought that that's what was necessary as being involved in Bitcoin is that's what people did. But as I, I was involved a little bit more, he, he, he definitely is, he calls out the shit coiners and, and he, he did help to turn me into a Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, but then once I got into the right circles on Twitter, um, you know, I became a hodler. And when I, I was being preached uh, just to go back to when I bought it at the all time highs at, at the beginning of 2018, when I was doing some trading, they were telling me kind of the same thing. Some of the, the, the Twitter charlatans, they were saying, you know, just hodl, you know, yeah, it's okay. Just buy more and uh, dollar cost average and hodl. But they were telling me to do that with shit coins. And uh, um, so the concept, I, I understood it. But when I started to, to see the hodlers and the, the concept of hodling uh, with Bitcoin, um, that is really where it was reinforced. And, and um, I've, I've become a, a, you know, a, a hodler of, of last resort um, and, and hoping to, you know, set myself up, my, my family up, um, 
my son and uh, up for uh, for the opportunity to be like, okay, um, he was on the right track. He got himself some Bitcoin, and and there's uh, fruits to to that end. Um, some some way down the road, not sure when, but sometime. Now that I think about it, you acted just like these people who want to lose weight within a week. You bought some kind of cryptocurrency and expected to have the fab the fabulous gains that you saw on mainstream media in 2017. And then you just kept going, hoping that something special would happen and that you would basically get that lucky run. And I guess this is more akin gambling than anything else. You're just shooting in the dark, hoping that you get that, that 100x or 1000x with some kind of obscure project of which you know nothing about, but sounds good, looks promising, and people talk about it. And also, it makes a lot of sense for people to be Bitcoin only. And in the long run, it's the only project which has any kind of rationality and future. And it's the only one of which I'm certain that will be around 10 years from now. As if you look at the altcoins that were being traded in 2013 or 2014, 2015, the only ones that are still around are Ripple and Litecoin. The other ones just disappeared. They're not around anymore. Nobody works on them. I guess you haven't heard of Peercoin or Namecoin or other projects like this, which looked interesting when they got released, but had no development. I guess Dogecoin is also pretty longstanding. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. I I did take the same approach as that yo-yo dieter. I even though from my understanding of behavior change and and uh, encouraging uh, the adoption of new behaviors, I was literally falling into that same trap. And those those shit coins, basically, I was I was you're right. I was falling into chasing these coins with little research or understanding of uh, what they were, what their ultimate um, uh, use case was. You know, I was having, you know, I'd, I'd split my Bitcoin into 10 different altcoins and uh, every once in a while, one of them would get a pump and dump or, a, or yeah, basically a pump and dump and I'd catch it with, a, you know, with the limit sell order that I just happened to set at some arbitrary uh, value um, that I had no understanding of. And I, and I don't, I suspect that there's a lot of other people who, um, who will fall into that trap. Once you see the price of Bitcoin going up and you get on, uh, onto Twitter and you see just the mess of everybody having and trying to show you, um, basically trying to take your Bitcoin if you have it or trying to get you to never even get into that area and hopefully lose sight of, um, you know, lose all your money and then kind of be fed up with uh, crypto uh, and basically just leave. And uh, I know a lot of cases of people who are only around when the good times roll. Whenever there is a bear market or a price correction, they just leave and say, this is not for me. But then they see the news about the price increase and that's when they buy in once again. And it's like a never ending cycle where they get burned. 
And this is also why, even though it's very irrational for people to buy altcoins, they basically rely on human greed. There will always be somebody hoping that the project would find some kind of purpose on the market. And there will always be people talking bad stuff about Bitcoin. So as long as there are greedy people willing to put their fiat money into whatever cryptocurrency project looks promising to them, there will be what they call the out season where random altcoins come, come on top in terms of daily gains and they show promise only financially. But then again, they have a low volume, which means that they can be manipulated in terms of price by rather small amounts of money, usually Bitcoins that are flowing into the trades. And also the founders of the project have a lot of insider information and they're able to call the shots and be the conductors of pump and dump schemes, which is nasty. If this was regulated in any way, but it's impossible to become regulated, there, there would be a lot of people going to jail. And from this perspective, I guess Satoshi Nakamoto did a great job when he just left. And he also left a million Bitcoins in his wallet. And some people speculate that they are a way of passing on the trust that the cryptography works and there is nobody who, who can hack into your wallet and steal your Bitcoins. As long as Satoshi's coins are there, you can just trust the system. That is that is absolutely right. I, I see that as well. I think that that million dollars locked or those million coins locked up is definitely a trust factor uh, for many of us. And and you know, there's that's always why that's kind of a, an attack vector is uh, you know who is Satoshi? Um, you know what is going to happen with these coins at some point in the future, and what's that going to mean for the price? Are they going to pull a Charlie Lee and and sell at the um, you know three 300 and, and um, you know, what's going to happen. So um, I know for me, just getting some skin in the game, getting some Bitcoin, um, getting the node launcher, uh, you know, now I, uh, you know, coin join through Wasabi. I have a cold card. Um, those are the reinforcing behaviors of learning about um all of the mechanisms of, of, you know, cold storage, of coin join, of anonymity, of privacy, of fungibility. Um, those are, for me, really honestly, some of them are, are foreign concepts. I, I understand them, uh, but getting that skin in the game is definitely something uh, as a, you know, a newer uh, Bitcoin pleb is, is definitely helpful, but it's also kind of uh, a little bit difficult um, you know, a couple examples is if, if you are wanting to do something like, you know, um, uh, do a coin join through, say, Samurai or uh, something I had brought up recently on, on Twitter was, you know, have people done some coin joins. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were telling me, you know, join a Telegram, get on, you know, do your own research. Uh, you should just do it. Uh, there's nothing to be worried about. Um, but what I was coming, my perspective was, you know, these are kind of, I don't have a lot of precious Bitcoin. I didn't, you know, I didn't um, accumulate a ton of them when the price was lower. Like I wish I would have, if I would have known and been involved. Um, and the ones that I have are precious to me. 
uh, from what I understand and how I approach it. And it is difficult to, to understand that, you know, we are still the early adopters. I don't know how many uh, individuals have downloaded the uh, Whirlpool Dojo on a Samurai Wallet and um, done a coin join, but I would assume it's less than 100,000, right? And uh, if we're looking at uh, encouraging individuals to, um, to utilize some of the uh, solutions that uh, have been made available, well, uh, because of Bitcoin, uh, it definitely is uh, the education aspect of it and um, the recklessness of it is sometimes a little bit, uh, makes you just a little bit hesitant to uh, get yourself in a situation where, uh, you know, maybe you lose, you know, 0 0.003 uh, Bitcoin. It may not be a lot of USD value today, uh, but if you're a, a, a hodler, um, you know, that 0 0.003 um, is something that you're looking at with a high time preference and looking out at potentially the value lost um, over that a course of time. Right. And also we should give a shout out to Rodolfo Novak who designed the cold wallet. Is that what you call it, by the way? Yeah, it's the cold card wallet. Cold yep. card wallet. And it's basically a labor of love because he didn't need to release a Bitcoin product. He could just live off the Bitcoins that he accumulated throughout the years, but he was not happy with the ledger and the treasure and wanted something that suited his needs. And so far I haven't heard anything but praise for the project. And I wish I could get one of those, but they're not as easy to find here in Europe. And even if you find them, you pay for extra ship, shipping costs for the VAT, and it's not very convenient to do it. Just like the Casa products. I really wanted to get a Casa node, but then I figured out how much I would have to pay for the shipping, how much it actually costs if you take VAT into consideration when you pick it up. And if it's a lot for you in terms of $300, in here, I would have to pay 19% just for the VAT and about $100 extra for the shipping, which is not very convenient. So I hope that, as you said, we are still in the early days. And I guess it's just the privileged few who get to use these services and try them out and develop them. But in order to actually scale in terms of adoption, we have to take into consideration some cheaper solutions. And one of those that I saw came from a Japanese group and the name escapes me right now. I don't remember what it's called, but it's supposedly the fourth implementation of the Lightning Network. And it runs on a Raspberry Pi Zero, which costs about $20. And the idea that you can run a full node of a software implementation of a technology which is very promising on a device that's so easy to acquire and so accessible gives us hope that in the future we, we might see much more adoption as soon as the interfaces become friendlier. And I, I guess right now the easiest way to run a lightning node and get on the network is to either use a custodial wallet, but if you want to be pure and support the network, you download Hero Shards node launcher. Right, yeah, so um, 
The price, definitely. So, you know, I always look at it now as, you know, Matt O'Dell and, and Marty Bent have kind of, you know, stack and sats and they've, they've really helped to put that as a mindset of, you know, $300 for, uh, for a node, or, you know, maybe I get myself some, some Satoshis with that, uh, $300. Um, and the great thing is Pierre Scott has his node launcher. So there is alternatives. If you have a spare laptop, uh, hanging around with enough space and the processing power, you should be able to run it. Um, and you're right about the custodial, uh, wallets. You, you definitely, um, we're still in the infancy of a lot of those things. But the great thing is not only are we early and if you do, and if you are able to get your hands and, and test out some of the things that um, some of the products that are uh, being put out uh, for Bitcoin, um, there is great support. I mean, Rodolfo, he will, you know, he will uh, message you back, send you a tweet back. Uh, Max Hildebrand has a ton of really great videos and they're very responsive in their Telegram group. Um, so you can definitely find um, find the information, the documentation that you need. Uh, but honestly, I'm just a little bit more assertive. I'm, I'm more willing to kind of put myself out there. I've always been kind of a technophile. I've, um, you know, I, when I graduated, I, I was really, I really wanted to go into computer science. I just didn't, I went a different route and, and life changed a little and life was a little bit different for me. Uh, so I'm a little bit more willing to put myself out there, but as these products get tested and the ease of use and the on-ramp uh, becomes easier uh, for the, that next wave of, of adopters and Bitcoin only and, and hodlers and maximalists, uh, I think they will be in a good spot of being able to uh, run their own node, uh, be able to have um, you know a, a appropriate cold storage um, that's um, you know at a at a cost-effective price. Um, that's secure, uh, that's easy to get, um, and then potentially start seeing some of these in more mainstream outlets, even if it's, you know, a couple of uh, the big box retailers, uh, you know, having um, hardware wallets that you could have in their uh, computer department uh, or having, um, you know, something like being able to purchase uh, a Casa node or a Noddle at, uh, you know, at the Best Buy shelf right next to a Toshiba laptop. Or something like that. Yeah, that would be ideal, right? It would definitely, you know, I, I used to work uh, at a at a big box store like that, and and you do not, you cannot imagine how many people come in to, to try those out. And I think uh, if we're trying to get mainstream adoption for um, Bitcoin and get more individuals. Uh, to understand how to use a hardware wallet. The current way that we're doing it is there's barriers to the scalability of how do we um, onboard, uh, you know, half a million new Bitcoiners. Um, how do we do that? And we have to partner, we have to um, develop um, connections with uh, those on ramps that are pre-existing because um, you know even buying a cup of coffee with um, you know with bitcoin it, it, it doesn't seem feasible because it's just much easier to use usd and you know some of uh, my family members from where i'm from um, i know maybe three people who are bitcoiners and they may not even be full-on maximalists uh, but the adoptions on the east and west coast um, to kind of 
not to dox myself kind of geographically, but the East and West Coast, they're much farther ahead. And, and that's some of the problems that we see uh, is the lack of understanding that not everybody and not every adoption group is the same as the one I am currently in or geographically located in um, or the echo chamber that I involve myself in. So um, I'm, ho I'm hoping that just with me being a full on pleb and asking some uh, ridiculous questions that sometimes I'm embarrassed to ask just, you know, how do you use this? Have you done this uh, in a telegram? And sometimes you get ignored and that's okay. And you just got to keep going, uh, keep asking questions. Cause you know, uh, in some of those, you know, you just have your messages where a lot of people are asking the same things. Everybody kind of wants to know. And some of them have already maybe been rehashed and they, and somebody else expects uh, somebody else to answer. Um, but you really, um, I'm hoping that, that the plebs like myself are helpful uh, outside of just being hodlers. Um, helping to um, helping to reinforce the importance of of having a hardware wallet, coin joining, making sure that you're not reusing your addresses, doing all of those things that um, you know uh, legacy. I, I'll call them legacy Bitcoiners know and understand, uh, but those on the on new new adopters um, don't have any idea about. I suppose one of the most frightening ideas for the people who get into the space is the fact that you have to take care of your own money and you have to take care of your private key. And to a lot of people who can barely remember their email password and it's so convenient to click that button which says, forgot your password, just type in your email address and we'll send to you a link to reset your password. That has been the paradigm so far. But to some, it might seem burdensome to, to handle that kind of information and protect it from what they perceive as malevolent forces, whether they might be friends who come over their place and might see their private key, which is stored in some kind of box, or hackers on the internet who might be watching their internet activity or even governments, which might be malevolent and try to steal their citizens' Bitcoins after they ban it. So it's difficult in this regard. And I suppose this is why hardware developers are also reluctant in terms of joining the big retail tech world. They don't want to sell their products without the proper kind of education. And you can imagine a person walking into a store and buying something like a nodal and then running it. And if you run it by itself, I suppose you're helping the network. But if you start using the interface and are not aware of the consequences and don't have a proper education, which by the way, doesn't, doesn't come as quickly as reading the instruction manual. And it's something that takes a few months of research that's not quite ideal. And I suppose that's one of the, the parts that slow down the adoption. And from this perspective, it would be much easier to just rely on exchanges, but that's a bad idea as they are trusted third parties that can get hacked. They're not always honest actors. They can do lots of crazy stuff and resort to fractional reserves, fractional reserves if they are allowed to. 
And I'm looking at you, Bitfinex, right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I think there's a, you know, I think there's a lot of shit you got to sift through. And I think that's in, I think in every area, uh, Bitcoin uh, not excluded. So uh, definitely for adoption, um, the, you know, I look at it from the health education, health promotion perspective, we're still trying to figure out how to educate the general public to do the things that they know are healthy for them. So Bitcoin as a much more complex idea and concept is going to need that front facing forward pushing education that comes from those uh, reliable, trustworthy resources. And there are some, you know, there's the, um, the Nakamoto Institute is great. I know, um, uh, Bitcoin only, uh, com is another great resource, uh, following some of the Bitcoin maximalists, you find a lot of really great resources. Um, but at the same time, there's just so much to wade through, um, that it, that it'll be interesting to see how that area of the next adoption occurs is, does it occur naturally? Is it going to be CNBC, which I doubt, uh, but, what is it and who is it going to be and what platform is it going to occur on? Is it going to be something that's embedded like in the cash app where you're able to watch videos and you can buy and sell and store and send um, and deposit uh, Bitcoin into, I think that's, uh, I, I really see the cash app as being potentially one of the biggest catalysts for the education of some of the more, um, some of the more widespread issues that people have like taxation or, um, uh, you know, handling your own keys, withdrawing to different addresses, et cetera. Um, I believe that they have the resources and a potential opportunity to set up some foundational education on Bitcoin that then is able to be utilized by um, individuals who produce products or software solutions uh, and hodlers alike, uh, but that is, uh, I believe that that the Cash App uh, and others like them. I know in, in every uh, region there's uh, there's kind of different providers, but I believe some of those Bitcoin only true kind of to the North Star companies uh, really have a lot on their shoulders for the adoption and education of Bitcoin outside of the current channels. Uh, that we have like Twitter, um, Twitter really is, is the one that's, um, you know, in Telegram as well and, and some other ways that people um, communicate. But those are really, I think, the big drivers right now. Uh, but how do we continue to do um, what we need to do to educate individuals on, you know, the, the monetary policy? We all see it going on uh, politically uh, every single day. Um, so the alternative, is there, but how do we educate them and build those on ramps, not only in buying Bitcoin, but storing it, managing, um, you know, your node, um, how do you do your addresses, all of the above. Right. I guess Cash App does a really great job at providing an easy interface for everybody. 
And I noticed that it's quite a popular application in the United States among teenagers. They, I saw that they had a few giveaways of US dollars during weekends. And a lot of people, a lot of teenagers sign up for the potential 15 bucks they can win. And I guess the fact that they use it and they understand how that works and they become curious to see what else is there, they're going to get into Bitcoin inevitably. And the moment they do, it's important to have the kind of educational resources to guide them from day one so that they don't fall for traps. And by the way, I'm surprised you haven't fallen for the Bitcoin cash scam. As you fell for Tron, you fell for whatever the other one was, but you haven't fallen for Bitcoin Cash. You didn't get into that whole narrative of the original vision with big blocks, scalability and stuff. So I guess you didn't let me talk long enough. <laughs> uh, I actually didn't get into Bcash because of the, uh, for any reason other than when they were listed on uh, Coinbase. And I just want, I thought of the arbitrage, you know, the price spiked up to 3,500 or whatever it was. And in some exchanges I was new and some of them, it was much less than that. I was just looking at, uh, you know, can I buy it? And then can I send it to another exchange and then have more USD at the end of it? Uh, so I, I kind of did. As long as you made money, there's nothing wrong with that, but you didn't really believe in Satoshi's vision and interpreting the white paper like it's some kind of gospel? No, I did not. And, and the thing is, is, you know, when people read the white paper and they, and they look at it as some sort of, of you know, you have to read it literally, um, but they look at Bitcoin and they don't see some of those, um, you know, they don't see the P2P or, or the cash-like um, you know, transactions and you think, well, it really, it still is, you know, from, I, like I said, I'm not the huge technical into to knowing really the, the background of everything. Uh, but from my perspective, when they try to plead their case, whatever arguments that they have, um, I just don't see it as being um, that big of a problem that you would need to do what they did and fork off. It was mostly about politics and the issues were not new. The scaling debate began around 2015, I think, or even earlier, I think Mike Hearn, who was one of the early developers has published a proposal around 2010 or 2011 to increase the block size to eight megabytes. And at the time Satoshi himself responded on the forum post and said, it's too early for this, just forget about it, let's not split the community. But from that point onwards, it was like some sort of agenda by people who own businesses with, which use Bitcoin to reduce the fees in order to, they, they said they wanted to increase the, the adoption and allow more people to buy it. But the engineers were not in favor of it. They just said, it's a bad idea. The whole point of this invention is to be decentralized. And the more you increase the block size, the harder it is to synchronize between nodes. And it's not just a matter of disk space. It's about internet bandwidth worldwide. 
It's about all these mining rigs, which maybe exist somewhere in China where the internet signal is not as strong as you would find on in metropolitan areas where they have broadband. So they were much more conservative and said that it's the decentralization that has to be preserved or else we turn into some kind of PayPal 2.0. And the struggle at the end of 2016 and early 2017 was to form this sort of alliances. And you see that the signatories of the Segwit2x protocol, which was part of the New York agreement, are actually business owners and exchange owners. And it was like a conglomerate of miners and exchanges and businesses who wanted to not to adjust their business model according to the limitations of Bitcoin, but change Bitcoin according to the larger amount of profit that they could make. And that make, yeah, that makes sense. If you're a business person, and I, I guess some people who signed the New York agreement back in 2017 have been forgiven. And I think the CEO of Fabra, Bill Barrett, is one of them. But then there are people like Roger Veer and Eric Voorhees who seem to not have learned anything from it. And they, they think they have done what was right and followed their ethos to the utmost extent. And from this perspective, I guess it was healthy for the community to split. So we, we have these two schools of thought. We can see which one gets developed in the best way and which one maybe Bitcoin Cash on the short term has the advantage of, you know, lower fees. And they say it was Satoshi's vision. But somebody, I think it was Grubbles. I'm not sure if you follow him. He is a Blockstream employee and he works with the mesh antennas and he's a very ingenious person who does a lot of interesting engineering stuff. And he posted an old version of the Bitcoin.org page where it was specifically mentioned that the minimum fee was 0.01 Bitcoin or something. And in today's money, that's a lot. But at the time they set this threshold as the minimum transaction fee as a way of avoiding spam in the network as the Bitcoin was just a few cents. Those are, you know, those are some, those are interesting things to think about in terms of, you know, like you said, the, the research approach of it is, you know, you have Bitcoin and then you fork it off and then you can compare uh, the adoption, the scalability, the functionality. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they approach uh, some of the problems and some of the issues that we were kind of discussing in terms of Bitcoin and its scalability with uh, uh, new users and adoption, um, because they're going to run into uh, similar problems with a uh, much more limited amount of individuals who are going to be interested. Um, so one of the reasons I was, you know, one of the first things I'd learned when I got onto uh, crypto Twitter was actually that, you know, Bcash was getting called a scam. Um, and Roger Ver was, uh, you know, kind of a charlatan and I watched a couple of videos and he's just, you know, he's kind of a, a, an idiot. He's a full on idiot most of the time. But uh, um, I, I was lucky enough to never get into that. Um, but my friend who uh, actually, 
you know, I reached out to initially about, and, and he told me about Litecoin. Um, he recently sent me a message and said, um, man, I just, uh, he's like, I just took all the money that I had had sitting in, in my Binance and I bought uh, uh, Bcash. I think it's like Bcash ABC or, or whatever it is now. Uh, and he's like, I can't believe that Bitcoin is going up right now. He's, you know, he called it King Bitcoin, but he still was unwilling to just buy anything other than shit coins. He was still wanting to uh, get that Lambo and, and, and get, uh, you know, get rich quick. Um, so I, I can see how some people without doing their research can, uh, can overlook really anything other than things that sound good and people who make, uh, you know, try to make their case on Twitter. And, and if you're in an echo chamber, if you have confirmation bias, and it's it's very easy to stay uh, in those traps uh, as we see uh, Bitcoin um, adoption grow, um, as we see, you know, less Satoshis available for everybody. Um, those individuals hopefully come around and they'll probably come around when the price is, is much higher or, or never at all. Well, that's fine, I guess. Sometimes I think that shitcoins are great just because you get to learn about how Bitcoin works in a way that's less risky. So if you lose it, it's something that will not hold a great value in the future. But at the same time, there are only 21 million Bitcoin and that's all there will ever be. So it's important not to waste it, even though sometimes when you waste your coins and they can never be recovered, you actually help the others you increase the scarcity of the of the supply and that helps the price go up in this regard as the next wave of high demand finds a lower supply but then again it's important to once again have that kind of education and have the kind of videos and tutorials and people who are very willing to help and from your experience, it's not much about the very, I don't know how I should call it, but nowadays a lot of people say that Bitcoiners are toxic and there's a lot of toxicity in their approach and they just do nothing but call everything a scam and argue with each other. But at the same time, when you need something and you want to learn more about, let's say the node launcher or anything else, any kind of software product or hardware wallet, you find some very nice people who are more than willing to explain to you how it works and tell you what you're doing wrong and make sure that you're having a good experience. And whatever you tell them is actually valuable feedback that they can use to improve. And that's how you know that we are in the early days because you find some of these big names following you on Twitter and responding to DMs and being on Telegram by showing their very nice and helpful side. But once again, where's that toxicity and what is it more specifically? Sometimes I wonder that. Yeah, you know, and I think the toxicity is just like anything else, right? There are just some people who if you were in a room with them and there was somebody telling you a bullshit story, they call them out. And some people love those people. Some people hate them, but we need them. Why? Because there's a lot of people who say a bunch of bullshit 
And there's a lot of us who are passive who would let it just go. Uh, but we also have those friends who, who we love very much, who are the assertive type, who are going to call them out, who is going to make a situation awkward because they're going to call somebody out on something that's uh, not factual. Uh, but that benefits us all. And as long as they're not uh, degrading to somebody or um, being truly cruel in a way that is just unnecessary, those toxic individuals that support and are kind of the frontline fighters for uh, all of the um, bad actors who are trying to limit the potential of Bitcoin or limit the adoption or stop you from finding one of the best things you'll ever find in your life, there is, it, it is a necessity. Uh, coming from, uh, coming from the uh, wellness field, you know, the, the white blood cells of the body fight the cancer cells and they will fight and fight and fight. And sometimes, um, you know, ultimately it's, it's for no avail, but uh, we do learn from that. And uh, those toxic plebs are, are a part of the system, they're ingrained. Some of them have been here the longest, know, and have seen these uh, charlatans come and go. Whereas I've only been through, you know, one uh, bear and then potentially what we suspect is the beginning of, of the next bull. You know, like I said, I don't know anything, um, but they're, they're necessary. Um, is that for everybody? It is not. Um, is it is Twitter a safe space? It is not. Is Bitcoin Twitter a safe space? It is not. Um, but they're absolutely necessary. And I think it's it's an important part of uh, of the hodler mentality is that we support um, the idea that, yeah, other people have uh, different approaches, different ideas, different shit coins, um, different uh, financial products that they want to attach to it to take your uh, Bitcoin but end all be all we we truly believe that bitcoin is is the only one that will be left uh and we'll remember i think some of the individuals who got a bad rap uh during the times where where people were um afraid to be politically correct um on twitter at the beginning of our discussion we revealed some details about your record and how you got into shitcoins and how long how long it took you to discover the virtues of bitcoin and really get into it and let's say that let's assume that we have some newbies listening right now and we can i, I guess we are in a position where we can make some recommendations for them and we can establish some lines of thought or recommendations for what they can do and also suggest some good products that they should be using right from the very beginning just to get used to what is best so let's start with exchanges i guess you can i guess that's the first way in which you're going to get any bitcoin not many are fortunate enough to have a bitcoin or friend who sells them or have access to one of these ATMs and they're going to go online and look most likely Google for buy Bitcoin and they then adjust their behavior according to whichever interface they find nicer. And it's very likely that they will end up on Coinbase and at this point Coinbase has a bad record of 
spanning users and taking too much to register and asking you for a lot of documents during the KYC process and then taking as long as two weeks to allow you to withdraw your funds. And sometimes, actually not sometimes, all the times that's not convenient. I don't think that should happen. It gives Bitcoin a bad name as a technology, as people will assume that it's the faults of Bitcoin for being slow. And I guess we have better alternatives. And what do you think is a good exchange that you would recommend to people? You know, I, I have a, a Kraken uh, account, but honestly, I think if individuals want to get into Bitcoin, finding something that's Bitcoin only that has no exchange or trading platform is best because you will get sucked into the gambling aspect of how do I take my 0.1 Bitcoin and make it a one whole Bitcoin. And with something like uh, the Cash App, I think uh, Bitter is another alternative. Uh, the Amber App, uh, there are some alternatives. Getting Bitcoin, learning how do you take it and withdraw it to your own wallet, whether that's Samurai or Wasabi or the two and, and Green Wallet, um, uh, the Blockstream wallet uh, on iOS are, are the ones that uh, I encourage people to use. And then, uh, like I mentioned, I have a, a cold card wallet that I use, but um, I would try to, I would encourage people to avoid anything that is going to tempt you to gamble away any of your Bitcoin and look for something that you can buy with your uh, local currency, uh, withdraw it um, as soon as you possibly can. Um, and put it into a mobile wallet, uh, whether you mix them with Wasabi or potentially Samurai, but then get them um, into a cold uh, storage if you can, because it's difficult to get yourself to trust. Like you mentioned, how do you, you know, the, the likelihood that you lose your keys or your passcode or, or whatever it is, um, is, is very high, uh, if you, especially if you don't know what you're doing. So for new adopters, um, that's why I'm hopeful that Wasabi and, and uh, Samurai, I'm, I'm an Android user, so I think that um, those two, I'm hoping that they, um, the integration with cold um, storage uh, continues to increase. I know Wasabi is, they're doing some offline PSBT type of things, um, but definitely uh, that's my recommendation. So avoid BitMEX. <laughs> BitMEX, definitely avoid that unless you unless you know what you're doing, right? Well, hey, Vlad, man, I got I got to get going, man. I, I appreciate uh, the time that we've chatted uh, and I, I apologize for having to kind of leave so abruptly. I kind of got to get out of here. OK, this was great. And thank you very much. This has been hey, Sasquatch. I, How can you be followed on Twitter as a close? Uh, yeah, uh, at Sasquatch Muscle. Um, that's where I am on Twitter. Uh, I'm in the uh, Bitcoin plebs and the taco plebs on uh, Telegram. You can find me there. Uh, I appreciate it, Vlad, and, and it's been a good time, man. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. Take care.